the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today we'll hear a conversation I had with Robert Jeffress. Dr. Jeffress is the author of The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. We'll also talk with Melissa Henson. She's the vice president of the Parents Television and Media Council. It's a nonprofit, uh, nonpartisan education organization advocating responsible entertainment. They offer some key developments in family entertainment you might find encouraging. So that's coming up in the Portland area. We'll talk with Paul Willie of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree coming up in the last half hour of the Portland version of today's program. All right. First, taking a look at some of the day's headlines. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter died with her family by her side at her home in Plains, Georgia, on Sunday. According to a statement by the Carter Center, she was 96, the wife of the 39th president of the United States. She died after she was admitted to hospice care on Friday. She was my equal partner in everything I ever accomplished. And the former president said that the best thing he ever did was marry her. President Carter said that she gave me wise guidance and encouragement when I needed it. As long as Rosalind was in the world, I always knew somebody loved and supported me, end quote. She survived by her husband, her four children, Jack, Chip, Jeff, and Amy, 11 grandchildren and 14 great-grandchildren. Axios reported that while in the White House, she was known to sit in on cabinet meetings and was the original first lady to set up a policy office in the East Wing. The Carters celebrated 75 years of marriage in July of 2021 with a party that included 300 guests. Bill and Hillary Clinton were included. Singer Garth Brooks and civil rights icon Andrew Young were among the guests. The Carters married a year after World War II ended and before Joe Biden was even in kindergarten. Rosalind championed a number of causes throughout her life, including mental health policy reform, which she took up while serving as Georgia's first lady in the early 1970s. Meanwhile, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a Republican, announced in a social media post on Sunday that he is proud to endorse former President Donald Trump, for the 2024 presidential nomination. Today, I am proud to endorse Donald J. Trump for president, Abbott said in that post on X. Uh, Now more than ever, America needs a president who will secure the border and prioritize national security. President Trump is the clear choice to get the job done, end quote. The former president joined the governor in uh, Edinburgh, Texas, on Sunday for Abbott's annual pre-Thanksgiving tradition of serving tamales to Texas Department of Public Safety troopers and Texas National Guardsmen deployed along the southern border under the governor's Operation Lone Star program. The visit is intended to spotlight the combustible issues of illegal immigration and border security. The border has been a major issue for Republican voters and GOP leaders and politicians for two and a half years leading to harsh criticism of President Biden's administration's handling of the crisis and a surge in border crossings by migrants. 
The former president pledged to launch the largest mass deportation effort in American history if he's reelected and would reinstate travel bans and his 2019 Remain in Mexico program, which forced non-Mexican asylum seekers aiming to enter the U.S. at the southern border to wait in Mexico for the resolution of their cases. A group of House Republicans is demanding more transparency from TikTok about how content is amplified and how much insight China has into those processes as accusations mount against the social platform that it's boosting anti-Semitic videos. They wrote to TikTok CEO Xiaoju Chu on the 7th of October, the Palestinian terrorist organization Hamas brutally attacked Israel and killed more than 1,400 people since this terrorist attack. Disinformation related to the conflict has run rampant on your platform, stoking anti-Semitism, support and sympathy for Hamas, end quote. The letter is being led by Representative Buddy Carter, a Republican out of Georgia. It comes just days after TikTok was under fire for facilitating a surge in viral videos expressing support for Osama bin Laden's 2002 letter to America, written in the wake of the September 11, 2001 terror attacks. Well, TikTok said the content clearly violates our rules on supporting any form of terrorism and that it would be removing the content. Of course, the damage has now been done. They went on to say, however, the company defended itself. The number of videos on TikTok is small and reports of it trending is uh, on our platform are inaccurate. This is not unique to TikTok and has appeared across multiple platforms and the media. Well, Carter cited reports that content flagged as pro-Palestinian was far more widely viewed than videos supporting Israel. Much of the younger generations are turning to TikTok rather than search engines and other verifiable sources for their news. You have led these generations to believe that TikTok is an unfiltered news source, the GOP lawmaker wrote. National security hawks have been wary of TikTok's connection to China with its parent company, ByteDance, being based in Beijing. Earlier this year, while testifying before the Committee on Energy and Commerce, you stated that the Chinese government did not have control over TikTok. However, former TikTok employees reported that China has access to American users' data and is closely involved in a decision-making and product development, the letter said. This control, alongside troubling reports of privacy and data security breaches, such as monitoring American journalists' locations, Prove that the CCP is using TikTok as a surveillance and manipulation tool, end quote. The lawmakers are demanding to know how many employees at TikTok have connections to ByteDance, how the platform screens its misinformation and anti-Israel content amid the conflict with Hamas, and how its algorithms are curated, among other queries. Well, the Biden administration is poised to move forward with a plan to allow a tribe in the Pacific Northwest to build a second casino far beyond its territory, a move other tribes and Democrats in the region have argued vehemently against. The Department of the Interior's Bureau of Indian Affairs is expected to issue a final environmental impact statement, potentially greenlighting the Oregon-based Coquille Indian Tribe's proposal to develop and operate a casino outside its territory in Medford, Oregon. As soon as this week, people familiar with the federal review process are saying the BIA issued its draft uh, EIS in November of last year for the proposal and the public comment period for that action lasted until late February. A wide range of voices, including several regional tribes, tribes nationwide and bipartisan lawmakers, blasted the draft EIS, which recommended the federal government approve Coquille's move to build an off-reservation casino, the so-called Cedars of, Be- of Bears Creek. 
the Coquille Indian Tribe's application to transfer fee land in Medford, Oregon, and to trust for gaming using the restored lands exception uh, directly threatens the sovereign rights of tribal governments to operate gaming on their lands. The Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations, which represents 13 tribes in California, wrote to the Bureau of Indian Affairs Assistant Secretary. In a similar letter to Newland, uh, the California Nations Indian Gaming Association, which represents dozens more federally recognized tribal governments on issues related to gaming, similarly argued that finalizing the draft EIS would threaten its members' sovereign rights as tribes. Well, NBC political correspondent Steve Kornacki, he sounded the alarm on a new NBC poll that showed former President Trump beating President Biden in a hypothetical general matchup for the first time in the NBC poll's history. Trump came out ahead of Biden in another general election matchup poll at 46 percent, with 44 percent supporting the president. Kornacki, he pointed to. Additional poll results and said that Biden has long had an advantage over Trump in likability. But according to NBC's latest results was now tied. The gap is gone. Thirty six percent of positive and on both and actually uh, Biden one point more negative than Trump. That's been a significant advantage for Biden. Our polls say that advantage, at least for now, may be gone. Kornacki also highlighted Biden's approval rating in the NBC poll, which he said was the lowest the president has ever measured in their poll. Just 40 percent of registered voters approved of Biden's job performance, the poll found. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, again, coming up later this hour, a rebroadcast of uh, Robert Jeffress, his uh, interview on the latest book, The Ten. Dr. Jeffress will join us later this hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, Israel is looking to target Hamas leadership hiding away in Gutter as Hamas's terrorists use women and children as human shields in the Gaza Strip. Hamas leaders are watching and directing military action from cushy six-star hotels and palaces like Gutter. They're also extremely corrupt and have stolen billions in foreign relief aid over the years. But according to statements made by the Israeli government Saturday, their days are limited. Israel Prime Minister and Defense Minister stated that Hamas leaders in Gutter will be killed. We don't distinguish between Hamas terrorists with AK-47 in Gaza and terrorists with suits in lavish hotels. We will eliminate them all, end quote. A newly released poll that was conducted at the start of the month by the Arab World for Research and Development found that the overwhelming majority of Palestinians support the October supported the October 7th terrorist attacks against Israel and hate the United States. Eighty six point seven percent now have a decreased conviction of wanting a peaceful solution with Israel. Only nine point one percent have an increased conviction. Sixty eight percent said that their support for a two state solution has decreased. Seventy five percent of Palestinians directly said that they supported the brutal October 7th terrorist attacks. 76% said that they viewed the Hamas terrorist organization positively, while only 22.3% viewed Hamas negatively. 97.3% viewed Israel very negatively. 97.6% viewed the U.S. very negatively. Very few differences were found in the beliefs between Palestinian women and Palestinian men when it came to supporting the October 7th attack. Men supported the attack to some degree, 75.2 percent, only slightly more than women at 74.9 percent. 
Arizona State University canceled a pro-Palestine event on campus that was to be held on Friday. The cancellation came Thursday night and surprised organizers with a last-minute notice. Representative Rashida Tlaib was scheduled to be a featured speaker at the Palestine as an American Issue event. Event organizers said that they had been working with the university for months while planning the event. An ASU spokesperson wrote in an email that the event was canceled due to procedural issues. Tlaib was censured by her colleagues in the House of Representatives last week. The resolution declared she was calling for the destruction of the state of Israel and promoting false narratives about the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. She continues to unapologetically support those who chant from the river to the sea, end quote, which is universally accepted as a call for the annihilation of Israel and the elimination of Jews. Tlaib is a Palestinian-American with a long history of anti-Semitism and the only serving Palestinian in Congress. In the thick of the COVID-19 pandemic, Congress sent $190 billion in aid to schools, stipulating that 20 percent of the funds had to be used for reversing learning setbacks. At the time, educators knew that the impact on how children learn would be significant, but the extent was not yet known. The evidence is now in, and it's starting, startling rather. The school closures that took 50 million children out of classrooms at the start of the pandemic may prove to be the most damaging disruption in the history of American education. It also set students' progress in math and reading back by two decades and widened the achievement gap that separates poor and wealthy children. And the media is just now finally realizing the detriment the school closures uh, had during the pandemic. One of New Jersey's main teachers unions is calling for the end of the basic skills test for certifying teachers. The New Jersey Education Association is advocating for the demise of the Praxis Core Academic Skills for Educators, Reading, Writing and Math. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy's signed uh, signing of uh, Bill 1553 would eliminate that requirement. The NJEA uh, called the test an unnecessary barrier, hindering the alleviation of teacher shortages when the New Jersey Department of Education adopted changes to the administrative code around uh, teacher certification and missed an opportunity to eliminate this requirement, which created an unnecessary barrier to entering the profession, stated the NJEA. Well, passing uh, scores for the basic skills test are 156 for reading, 150 for math, 162 for writing. The maximum possible score is 200. Nikki Neely, founder and president of Parents Defending Education, insisted that there were better options for overcoming the teacher shortage other than reducing entry standards. Joe Biden turned 81 today, but things don't seem too festive at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Indeed, the octogenarian occupant of the White House has been a downright grumpy lately, lashing out at those who dare question his fitness for another four years in office. Just ask David Axelrod. Uh, who got under uh, Scranton Joe's skin recently when he looked at some recent head-to-toe polling with Donald Trump in the battleground states and suggested Biden might perhaps maybe consider or reconsider his desire to run for another term. The oldest president in American history and the most cognitively incapacitated since the stroke-stricken Woodrow Wilson of more than a century ago apparently dismissed Axelrod with an obscenity that rhymes, well, never mind. So much for restoring dignity to the White House. Axelrod was uh, matter-of-fact in his reply, though. I don't care about them thinking I'm a, um, well, he used another expletive. That's fine. I hope they don't think the polls are wrong because they're not. 
It's been nearly three years since the events of January 6, 2021, shocked the nation and caused the Democrats to no end of obsession and gave them a reason to impeach Donald Trump for the grave offense of having encouraged his supporters to peacefully and patriotically make their voices heard. And now the Democrats have another reason to gnash their teeth. House Republicans are going to make most of the security footage from the Capitol riot available to the public. Said to House Speaker Mike Johnson on Friday, as Roll Call reported, starting Monday, members of the public will be able to set up in-person appointments to view the Capitol Police security footage in designated rooms within the Capitol complex. Eventually, around 95 percent of the 44,000 hours of tape will eventually be made available, excluding segments that contain sensitive uh, security information or information that could lead to retaliation against private citizens. Some of the footage, such as the clash between hooligans and Capitol Police, will no doubt be grim. But other footage will surely put the lie, uh, the hyperbolic assertion that January 6th was worse than Pearl Harbor and 9-11 combined. Oh, my. It may also be helpful in determining just how many federal agents and contacts were involved in the hooliganism, a question that uh, Democrats and their FBI colleagues have consistently dodged. Well, Argentina elected a far-right Trump supporter, so much for South America's leftward lurch. Argentinians utterly fled up, fed up rather, with crippling triple-digit inflation and poverty, elected a populist conservative outsider by the widest margin, 56 to 44 percent, of any presidential election since the country went democratic in 1983. Javier Millet, the country's newest uh, president-elect, is a self-described Uh, anarcho-capitalist economist, a TV personality, and a Donald Trump fan who calls his leftist opponents, well, words I would not say. Uh, For a sense of his his, uh, style, uh, take two minutes to watch a remarkable clip, an interview in which he uh, uh, straightens out a a left-leaning news um, reporter on the campaign trail uh, with his wild hair and inflammatory rhetoric, pledged economic shock therapy and to slash the size of the state. Uh, One can sense the despair among the left media. Billionaire Elon Musk on Sunday said after uh, the victory that uh, prosperity is ahead for Argentina. Well, we'll see. With potential war looming on the horizon, the Biden administration has made an about face on its claim that U.S. military personnel refusing to get a novel vaccine pose a present risk to the force and jeopardizes readiness, end quote. Joe Biden's ill-conceived COVID vaccine mandate prematurely ended the military careers of thousands of young, healthy soldiers. But with um, uh, the U.S. Army struggling to meet recruitment targets and the world becoming more dangerous by the day, the Pentagon has decided it wants those soldiers back. While Biden's military COVID vaccine mandate was rescinded back in February, most ousted soldiers still haven't reenlisted. Now the Army is actively recruiting, rather re-recruiting those former service members with a letter that promises to wipe clean their COVID vaccine refusal discharge records. Individuals may request a correction to military personnel records, including uh, records regarding the characterization of discharge. The letter reads, individuals who desire to apply to return to service should contact their local Army, U.S. Army Reserve or Army National Guard recruiter for more information. Republicans in Texas need to get their act together on education. On Friday, the Republican-controlled State House of Representatives had an opportunity to pass legislation that would have offered Texas families school choice. Dubbed the Texas Education Savings Account, the measure would have allowed parents the freedom to send their children to the school of their choice with a program that uh, would 
um, allocate tax dollars to their chosen school. Texas Republican-controlled Senate had passed several school choice bills that the House had subsequently failed to pass. This latest measure failed to pass on an 84-63 vote with Republicans who voted against it, claiming that the legislation would be bad policy. A Colorado judge ruled Trump can stay on the primary ballot there, dismissing the latest 14th Amendment challenge. And only 3.6 percent of Americans were uh, got updated COVID-19 shops as of October. And Hamas terrorists took hostages into a Gaza hospital. Shifa cameras prove an Israeli defense forces found mortar shells stashed in a Gaza kindergarten. Israel says Iran is behind Yemen's Houthis seizure of a ship in the Red Sea. And Iran is threatening to further expansion of the Israeli-Hamas war. Let us pray. Coming up, a conversation I had with uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress, his latest book, The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, my next guest, and I have to tell you, I'm absolutely thrilled that he would take the time to join us. Dr. Robert Jeffress has written a new book, his latest, The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. Well, the renowned pastor and author, he shows us how God's blessings come from living out his most fundamental instructions. Now, I know what you might be thinking. The Ten Commandments, is that relevant to Christians today? Well, he says that far from what most people think, the Ten Commandments weren't given to restrict our freedom, but to enhance our happiness. They invite us into the blessing of a loving relationship toward God and the resulting spillover into our relationships with others. Well, Dr. Jeffress is a senior pastor of the 15,000 member First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, and is a Fox News contributor. His daily radio program, Pathway to Victory, is heard on more than a thousand stations nationwide, and his weekly television program is seen on 195 countries around the world. It's a wonder he has a moment to join us here today. He's appeared on many media outlets, Fox and Friends, Hannity, Good Morning America, and many others. He's the author of nearly 30 books, including the book we'll be talking about today. So, Dr. Jeffress, I am so grateful that you're with us today. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. We've been doing this for a number of years, Georgine. (laughs) We have, and I'm glad to continue. Well, the book is titled The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. Now, I think for many believers, Um, The Ten Commandments seem almost irrelevant. There are elements of it that we resonate with, but we imagine we are under grace. We're not under the law. Therefore, these commandments, while they're good, they don't necessarily apply to us. First of all, do people know what's in the Ten Commandments anymore? And do they apply to followers of Jesus? No, I read a poll that said that only 60% of Christians uh, can name five of the commandments. I mean, it's just amazing how ignorant even God's own people are of the commandments. And Georgine, if there's one truth I want people to understand about this book, The Ten, is the Ten Commandments were not given for God's benefit. He doesn't get anything out of them. He gave it to us for our benefit. These rules, these guardrails, if you will, for living, uh, were not meant to repress us or oppress us, but to bless us. And it really is God's prescription for how to have the joyful life. 
we were intended to have. You make the point that our lack of application of the Ten Commandments is responsible for the deterioration of our nation, our churches, our homes, and our personal lives. What you're suggesting, and what I think the the scriptures teach, is that these are essential to us. Why are these commandments, these words, if you will, so uh, important to the lives of uh, those to whom it was originally given and to those of us who are today followers of Jesus? You know, I, I think the subtitle of the book explains it all how to live and love in a world that's lost its way. I don't care what your political or spiritual affiliation is. I think everybody agrees that we're living in a world that's lost its way. And I think back to 1863, when our country was being torn apart by a civil war, Abraham Lincoln issued his first proclamation calling for prayer and repentance. And in that proclamation, Lincoln said, What is it that is tearing our nation apart? And then he answered his own question. He said, we have forgotten God. Mm -hmm. And Georgine, I think that diagnosis is as accurate today as it was back in 1863. We think we know a better way to live than God does. And the result is always chaos, confusion, and disappointment. And so I think these are the words of our creator, again, who gave us these rules for our blessing. You know, I tell the story in the book. Uh, When my girls were little, we went to uh, Colorado Springs and drove up Pikes Peak Mountain. And my oldest daughter was five at the time. And when she got out of the car, she started running toward the edge of the mountain. There was no guardrail. And instinctively, I yelled, stop. Now, why did I tell her to stop? Was I trying to deprive her of some wonderful experience? Of course not. I was trying to keep her from going off the cliff and killing herself. And in the same way, God gives us some commands. Some of them are negative, but they're for our benefit. No lying, no stealing, no adultery, no coveting. He gave that to enhance our life, not to restrict us in any way. Importantly, in the introduction to the the book, you uh, call our attention to the historical setting of the Ten Commandments. God had just Um, freed his people from 400 years of slavery, the exodus out of Egypt. And it's in that context that God miraculously delivers his people from slavery, rescues them from the pursuing Egyptian army, and delivers to them these words that are those guardrails as you've described them. Help us to understand the context in which these uh, commandments, as we refer to them, were given to his people and their purpose at that time. Well, you pointed out something very relevant to today. This was 3,500 years ago. The children of Israel left Egypt and were headed to the promised land to form their new nation. Now, as we know, at the beginning of their journey out of Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai and Moses received the commandments. They broke them. They spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering around. And so Moses had to give them to them again in the book of Deuteronomy, which means second law. But the point I would make today is, Georgine, that was 3,500 years ago that the Israelites were getting ready to enter into the promised land. Contrary to what you hear from the left today, Mm. Israel is not just 75 years old. It's thousands of years of age, and they possess this land. They are not occupiers. This is land that was going to belong to them. And God said, as you start this new nation, here are the rules that you're to govern yourselves by that will cut through the chaos and confusion of the world. 
And for the Israelites, as you point out, this blessing meant a homeland marked by peace, justice, and morality. This was to bring blessing. This wasn't to restrict their freedom, but this was necessary in order for them to live and flourish in the way that God intended. You know, you said something earlier that I want to go back to. You said a lot of Christians uh, don't really know these commandments or care that much about them because they're part of the Old Testament. And we think uh, the Old Testament's irrelevant. It's important Hmm. to note that when God gave his law, the law consisted of three parts. There was a civil law that governed how the nation would run itself. That's true. That doesn't apply to us because we're not a theocracy. There was a ceremonial law that included sacrifices and rituals that the people would go through to atone for sins. Those are no longer relevant because Jesus Christ is our full and complete sacrifice. But the third part of the law was the moral law, and that part transcends the Testaments. It's the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting that Jesus repeated each of those Ten Commandments as part of his teaching with the exception of one command. And the command he didn't repeat and reinstate was remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. In fact, Jesus broke the Sabbath for a reason, to show us that the day of worship would no longer be Saturday, it would be Sunday to commemorate his resurrection. But even then, the principle still remains of the Sabbath. There's one day a week you need to focus completely on refreshing yourself spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and that's to be the Sabbath. Well, generally, as you've just described, Christians aren't obliged to obey the Old Testament law in the two areas that you you outlined. But in the same way that the Ten Commandments were designed to provide a, a means of flourishing for the nation of Israel or the, the nation that was going to become a nation, uh, it's designed to do the same for us. Absolutely. And, you know, for example, one of the commandments, honor your father and mother, And then it's the only commandment with a promise that your days may be long on the earth. Now, God wasn't promising that you're going to be promised longevity of life if you obey your parents. He was talking to the nation that it may go well with you as a nation. It is from our parents that we learn the basic truth that all societies need to learn, and that is obedience to authority. And where is it that children learn to obey authority? It starts in the home by obeying their parents. If they don't learn how to obey their parents, they'll have trouble obeying their teachers. They'll have trouble obeying uh, law enforcement officers and the government. And so this is a command that still has relevance for us today. Uh, Children certainly are to obey their parents unless they're asked to do something illegal or immoral. But then young adults can still not obey their parents necessarily, but listen to the counsel of their parents. But one way we honor our parents is even after they're dead, by the way we speak about them, by the things we choose to remember about them. We all have imperfect parents. We're imperfect parents, but we can honor our parents by what we say about them even after they're in heaven. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Robert Jeffress, his latest book, The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. And that certainly is the world we find ourselves in today. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast. 
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we're continuing a conversation with Dr. Robert Jeffress. He's the author of nearly 30 books. We're talking about his latest, The Ten. Yeah, That Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. The book is published by Baker Books. We'll make sure that you can find out where to buy a copy and to connect with uh, uh, Pastor Jeffress online before our conversation ends as well. Well, what are some of the common misconceptions about the Ten Commandments? And let me just offer one, and that is that it's restricting, that if we, uh, this is designed to prevent us from enjoying life, that it's designed to prevent us from pursuing things that, uh, that might interest us. What, what was the original intent? It was not to restrict us, it's to what? To bless us, uh, not to oppress us, but to bless us. These were given for our benefit. It's the way to have the kind of life God wants us to experience. I mean, for example, I mean, the commandment, uh, you shall not commit adultery. In Hebrew, it literally says no adultery. Now, Georgine, most people think about God as some cosmic killjoy who's trying to rob us of any happiness Mm -hmm. in life by putting all these restrictions around us. But think about it. God is the one who designed the whole idea of sex. He's the one who gave us bodies to enjoy a sexual relationship. But he says, now here is how sex operates the best, between a man and a woman in the security of a marriage relationship. God gave that so that we could enjoy the gift he gave us, not to try to repress us from enjoying uh, uh, that kind of activity. And so, again, people need to rethink their thoughts about God in many ways. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And we have a God who is not trying to keep good things from us. That's what Satan tempted Eve with in the garden. The reason God doesn't want you to eat from this tree is because he doesn't want you to be like him. He's paranoid. He's trying to rob you of something wonderful. And of course, the opposite is true. Mm. So it's a form of arrogance when we disregard or disobey the Ten Commandments, imagining that we know better than God or misunderstanding uh, his intent in guiding us in the way that he designed us to function the best. That's exactly right. And he knows, for example, material possessions. He says, don't steal. He knows that the way we uh, enhance our self-esteem and feel feel fulfillment in life and satisfaction is by acquiring property, by earning it, not by taking it from others. At the root of every commandment is God's love and his desire for us to live the best life possible. In the book that we're talking about today, The Ten, uh, you share some ways that we break the Ten Commandments without even realizing. What is What are some of the ways that we do that? Well, let's take the command, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, we usually think that's referring to cursing. You know, you never should say the GD phrase, which is true. You shouldn't do it, but not for the reason people think. Uh, One of the Old Testament scholars who's a member of our church translates that verse, do not use the name of God needlessly. You know, God's name was so sacred, the Hebrews didn't even pronounce Mm -hmm. the name Yahweh. It was such a reverent name. And it doesn't have to be just through a curse that we take God's name in vain. When we try to manipulate other people to do something we want them to do by saying, now God told me, 
uh, congregation that we're to build this building. Well, I better not say that unless God really told me that. Or God told me I'm supposed to marry this person or that person. Uh, That's taking God's name in vain. Something I did and really didn't think about it until I studied it more is uh, telling jokes that have God as a part of the joke. You know, we've all, many of us have done that before. Uh, Two guys died and went to heaven and God said to them, blah, 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 blah. That's taking God's name in Mm. vain. We're not to take God's name and use it needlessly. So we are to reverence him in however we make reference to him. And I think sometimes we're so casual, we imagine that Jesus is just our best friend and we can pal around without really (laughs) considering the holiness of God, the the complete otherness of God, and how um, the righteousness we uh, experience is the righteousness that we have inherited rather than um, that we've generated on our own. It's a very sobering thought. That's right. And you know, another example of ways we violate the commands without thinking about it, thou shalt not steal. Now, he's not just talking about don't get involved in those smash and grab crimes that we've been watching department stores being looted. No, there are a number of ways you can take something that doesn't belong to you by not working, you know, a full eight hours a day, giving you your employer what they're paying you for. Employers can rob their employees by not paying them a fair wage for what they do. Uh, There are a lot of ways we can steal without even knowing it. Same thing with murder. You know, we think as long as we don't shoot somebody in the head, we're uh, free of violating that command. But Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. I say anyone who hates his brother has committed murder in his heart. Uh, God not only condemns the act of murder, he condemns the attitudes that lead to murder. So, um, you know, a lot of people will check off these commands and say, well, I haven't done the overt behavior, but God is just as concerned about the hard attitude that leads to those acts of disobedience. It seems to me that when we understand the full breadth of these commandments, we not only learn something about ourselves and our inability to keep those commandments apart from the in, um, inner work of the Holy Spirit, but it also reminds us of the holiness of God that we so often forget. He's he's serious about these matters, and his standard is, is far higher than ours uh, ever will be. It is, and you know, James uses the example, the analogy. He says, the Word of God, the commands of God are like a mirror mm. that show us how dirty our faces are, how much we need to be cleaned. Uh, You look into a mirror in the morning, the mirror can reveal the dirt on your face, but it can't cleanse you of that dirt. And it's the same way with the law. The law uh, can't be obeyed perfectly. And that's why Jesus Christ came to pay for our sins, uh, to take the punishment we deserve for our sins. What the law does is it reminds us of how dirty spiritually we all are and how much we need Christ's forgiveness. Mm. We're talking with uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress, his latest book, The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. The book is published by Baker. Now, Dr. Jeffress, can you stay with us for one more segment? Sure. I don't want to presume upon your time, but we'd sure appreciate it. We'll take a quick break. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast.
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we are delighted to continue our conversation with uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Uh, his latest book, The Ten, an excellent review of what God said to us through the Ten Commandments, how to live and love in a world that has lost its way, and that certainly describes the world that we are in. He is the uh, author of nearly 30 books. We're talking about his latest. He is a pastor of a 15,000-member First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, He's a Fox News contributor. His daily radio program, Pathways to Victory, is heard on more than a thousand stations nationwide, and his weekly television program seen on one hundred seen rather in one hundred and ninety-five countries around the world. And yet he has humbled himself to spend a few minutes with us here today. <laughs> I want to ask you about the fourth commandment that has to do with the Sabbath. What does observing the Sabbath look like in the twenty first century in the chaotic world that we live in today? And how strictly are we to follow it when we consider how the uh, the Jewish community acknowledges and observes the Sabbath, how are we to, if in fact we are, to observe that Sabbath rest in the fourth commandment? Well, even though the day is changed for the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday, the principle is still the same. We need 24 hours a week in which we don't work or even think about working, that we renew ourselves spiritually and emotionally and physically, and that is by taking a Sabbath day. And I think, Georgine, the biggest um, misconception people have about the Sabbath is it's a list of what you can't do on Sundays. And uh, Jesus denied that idea of the Sabbath. He said the Sabbath, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. God gave it not for his benefit, but for us. And so, you know, what I remember when I was growing up, I grew up as a Southern Baptist, and the most debauched thing anybody could do on a Sunday was go to a movie on Sunday afternoon. I mean, you could watch things on TV. That was okay. But going to a movie, there was just something extra sinful about that. My grandparents used to come and visit us on Sunday afternoons. They were Methodist, and my grandmother would go to the movie every Sunday afternoon I have never wanted to be a Methodist so badly as when they came to visit and ended up going to the movies. But uh, I never converted. <laughs> so, But, you know, I mean, that's silly when you think about it. The bigger principle is we need a day for worship. We need a day for rest. And that's why God said, work six days a week, just like I did in creating the world, but take a day off. And, um, you know, William Wilberforce um said that uh, Sabbaths are the days when earthly ambitions regain their true size. I mean, we've got our earthly responsibilities up in front of us six days a week, and God is somewhere in the distant. The Sabbath is the time to change focus and make God who he really is. And it's a way of diminishing the problems we face six days a week. I also wanted to focus for a few moments on the sixth commandment. Uh, We know it primarily as thou shalt not kill, but you suggest there's much more going on uh, in that commandment than uh, a brief and quick read might suggest. Can you broaden our understanding of what that means in terms of preserving life, particularly in an age that we live in, in which um, the taking of life is celebrated? Well, exactly. And, uh, First of all, the principle is that God is the one, the only one who can create life, and he's the only one who has the right to extinguish a life. And uh, 
Now, the command is translated, thou shalt not murder, ratsa, murder. It doesn't say thou shalt not kill. There are some times that God delegates us with the authority to kill somebody. That surprises people, but it's true. For example, uh, capital punishment. God gives government the right to take a life. In Genesis 9-6, God said to Noah, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Human life is so sacred that anyone who takes it uh, ought to have their life taken. Romans 13 talks about capital punishment. Uh, Second allowance is war. There is such a thing as justified war. And uh, in the days in which we're living, we're seeing the Middle East conflict right now. Israel has not only the right, but the responsibility to defend herself, even if that involves the taking of other life. Um, We have in the Old Testament, God gave us the right to protect our homes from invaders. And that means if that involves taking a life, so be it. So not all killing is prohibited by God, but murder is, which is taken presumptuously out of anger, the life of another person. And by the way, as I said in one of the earlier segments, it's not just the overt act of murder, it's the attitudes that lead to murder, such as hatred. What are some of the ways um, we as a nation have walked away from the guidelines that God clearly set before us? The Ten Commandments used to be posted in a classroom. They were referenced. Now they are rejected and, um, you know, focusing away from them is celebrated. What does it cost us and what do we need to do to turn things around? Well, you know, for the first 150 years of our country's history, the Ten Commandments were not only allowed to be displayed, they were taught and memorized by students. I mean, it was not even questioned. But about 60 years ago, uh, secularists started saying, well, we can be good without God. And so there was a rampant move to try to remove God from the public square, outlawing prayer in 1962, Bible reading in 1963. But the culminating case, Supreme Court case, was 1980, Stone versus Graham, which the Supreme Court said, not only can you not teach the Ten Commandments in a Kentucky school, you can't even post the commandments because if school children read them, This is what the Supreme Court said. If school children read them, they might revere the commandments and obey the commandments. And this is not a permissible objective under the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. I mean, it's just ludicrous. How's that That working out? Yeah. Well, 17 years after that, 1987, in 1997 at Heath High School in Paducah, Kentucky, a 14-year-old who had obtained a gun approached a group of students praying before school, opened fire, killing two, seriously wounding three students, all in a school where 17 years earlier, Hmm. the Supreme Court said, you cannot post the words, thou shalt not kill. Now, Georgine, that's insanity, absolute insanity. I think we as Christian and Christian voters need to vote for people who believe that God's law is the best way to live and that we ought to teach our children God's word. You know, there's a chilling verse in Hosea 4, verse 6. God said, because you have forgotten me and my law, I will forget Hmm. your children. And I think we're witnessing that today. Hmm. God help us. Well, Pastor, I want to make sure our listeners know where they can buy a copy of the 10 and connect with you online. 
Well, the best place to get the 10 the easiest is Amazon.com. And Georgine, I might mention, there's also a separate study guide that goes along with the book. It's great for a small group Bible study or Sunday school class, as well as individual study. So Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Well, uh, uh, Pastor Jeffress, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. I want you to know that I respect you. I pray for you from time to time. I know you are in a position of leadership and national attention is focused on you. That comes with a great cost. And I am grateful for your willingness to pay that cost for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the body of the Christ. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're a great friend. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Again, uh, Pastor Robert Jeffress, a Ph.D., author of The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way, the book published by Baker Books. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, the Parents Television and Media Council, or PTC, you may know them by those initials, have released its top five list of key developments in the entertainment industry that families can be thankful for. You don't often hear those two things put together, entertainment industry and thankful for. But families are up against a lot when it comes to protecting their children from explicit content in entertainment and from online content. So PTC wanted to highlight and uh, show their appreciation for the positive developments happening in the entertainment industry. Well, joining us to uh, do just that is Melissa Henson. She's vice president of the Parents Television and Media Council, a nonpartisan education organization. They advocate responsibility Responsible Entertainment. They're a national grassroots organization. They have more than 1.4 million members. And by the way, you're welcome to join, working with television producers, broadcasters, networks, and sponsors in an effort to stem the flow of harmful and negative messages targeting children. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for this report. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be on with you. You know, it's encouraging to hear that there's some good news that families can be grateful <laughs> for. So it's a, it's a good time to talk about it, and I'm glad that we have some good news to, to share. Tell us a little bit about how you arrived at this top five list. Yeah, well, you know, we, we wanted to have something positive to say going into this um, Thanksgiving season, the season of thanks. Um, and it's, it is exactly as you pointed out <laughs> during the introduction. <laughs> really hard sometimes when you're talking about the entertainment industry to find anything positive. Um, and a lot of the, the good news that we have to share is um, <laughs> actually not coming from mainstream Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It's coming from others. Um, it's coming from state attorneys general. It's coming from teenagers. It's coming from um, disruptors who are trying to um, put some more family-friendly content out there. So there is good news, but it's not necessarily coming from mainstream Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Well, the good news is somebody's listening. They recognize there is a, a market out there and they're catering to families. It is always a mystery to me why Hollywood doesn't take full advantage of the strong interest in and desire for programming for families. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, we did a study um, just earlier this year. Um, and found that, you know, across major streaming services, um, there's al- almost 300% more adult-only content than there is content that's suitable for family viewing. And that, in spite of the fact that there are a lot of surveys that show that families want to be able to watch TV together. They see that as a valuable way to bond. They see it as a, as a good way to spend time together. Um, and yet less than 20% of households report watching TV with children under the age of 18. And I think that that's really tragic. And it's, it's 
frankly, I think it's because of the lack of suitable family options. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go through this list. The first one you list as teenagers, and there's a UCLA survey of teen and young adults. And they uh, offered some information that I think many families, many parents and grandparents, aunts and (laughs) concerned adults (laughs) would find encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. This was, I think... Um, would come as a surprise to most people because if you look at what's out there for teens, you have to assume that they're programming for what audiences actually want. But these teens are saying, no, actually, we think there's too much sex on TV. We think they're, um, it's used as a, a plot device too often. We want to see more um, programs about uh, platonic relationships, about friendships. We don't need to have um, explicit sex and nudity on the screen all the time. And this is coming from teenagers themselves. Well, that's great news. I wonder, are the um, producers of entertainment media, whether that's Hollywood or others, are they listening? Are we seeing any kind of shift or do they take this kind of information seriously? Well, I think time will tell. This is a relatively new survey. Mm -hmm. I think it just came out in October. So, um, you know, the stuff that's on TV right now has been in the production pipeline for months and sometimes years. So time will tell. But we can always uh, pray that uh, pray that they're listening and that they pay attention and, and actually deliver what these young kids and teenagers are saying they want. The other bit of good news comes from Apple TV Plus. Tell us about it. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, we did a study earlier uh, this year looking at the top streaming platforms, and most of them are really not serving families well at all. You know, (laughs) there were at least a few streaming platforms that had only a handful of shows that were rated either G or PG. Um, But Apple actually did a respectable job of um, offering ample G-rated programming. As some of your listeners may be aware, they are the exclusive home now to the Charlie Brown, um, you know, the Thanksgiving special that a lot of us like to watch this time of year. Mm -hmm. You can find that now on the Apple TV Plus platform. And at Christmas time, Charlie Brown Christmas is going to be available on Apple Plus. Um, so they are doing a better job than most of their competitors in terms of offering uh, family-suitable content. Another is uh, Bent Key. Now, that's, that was a new one to me. Tell us about this, uh, yeah. this entertainment platform. Sure. Well, this is a new offering from The Daily Wire, um, and it was launched as a, a competitor to companies like Disney that they feel are, are really kind of going um, too much in a political direction. So Bent Key is designed to provide wholesome, suitable entertainment for kids. It's, it mostly skews younger. So, um, you know, if you have teens in the house, there's probably not going to be a lot on that platform that is going to be of interest to them. But if you have preschoolers or elementary school age children, it does look like it's going to be a good alternative. Another is CBS. Now, again, one might be surprised that they made the list. But in the singular right. offering, uh, this is encouraging news. The network CBS. Yeah, what was surprising here is, um, you know, during the writer's strike, a lot of these um, major media companies were scrambling for content that they could put up on the broadcast airwaves. Now, CBS is owned by Paramount, which also happens to own the the very popular uh, Yellowstone, which is an MA-rated series, and it deserves that MA rating. So we were really kind of skeptical about whether or not they'd be able to tone it down to make it suitable for broadcast. But they appear to have done a reasonably good job of toning it down for broadcast. Uh, And finally, on the list to be thankful for, 
41 state attorneys general, a group of 41 um, attorneys general filed a lawsuit against Meta. Explain what happened and why we should be encouraged by it. So Meta, as your listeners may know, is the parent company of Facebook and Instagram. Um, And we've seen now many, many congressional hearings, whistleblowers coming forward and saying, look, this company knows their algorithms are dangerous and addictive. They know that they're feeding kids harmful content, but they're doing it anyhow. Um, And so these state attorneys general are coming together to file a lawsuit against Meta for making their platform addictive to children and teens, but also for putting dangerous content in front of children and teens, content that encourages self-harm or uh, eating disorders or um, violent, uh, violent behavior, anti, anti-social behavior among uh, some of the kids that are on those platforms. So I think um, this is an important development because up to now, these, these social media companies have sort of been running amok. They know the harm that they're doing to kids and they really don't care. Yeah. In fact, oftentimes because uh, these uh, uh, platforms are addictive, they actually care because it, it's helpful to them and keeping their oh, uh, viewers yeah. connected. Well, these are reasons absolutely. to be encouraged and uh, to recognize that somebody's listening to some of the uh, the <laughs> hue and cry that's being raised by parents and other responsible adults who care about the future of, of entertainment for families and particularly for children. For listeners who would like to connect with and follow Parents Television and Media Council and the work that you do, uh, what's the best way for them to connect? You can find us online at parentstv.org. And you can also find us on uh, Facebook, ironically, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter. I guess now it's X, but just look for the Parents Television Media Council official page. Well, again, always appreciate the work that you do. You bring encouragement. You also give us some direction and what to avoid and how to uh, make our voices heard. Melissa Henson, thanks for joining us. Thank you and have a happy Thanksgiving. You too. Bye-bye. Again, Melissa Henson is vice president of the Parents Television and Media Council, a nonpartisan education organization advocating responsible entertainment for families and children. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. And I have to tell you, I'm pretty excited because with me in studio is Paul Willie. He is the director of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree, now celebrating its 61st year. And believe it or not, Thanksgiving is right around the corner, which means the Singing Christmas Tree is opening its curtains uh, the very next weekend or that very weekend. In fact, Uh, Paul, I'm so delighted to have you uh, with us today to invite our listeners and to remind them of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree, which has been a tradition here in the Portland area for decades. Welcome. Yes, 61 years, in fact. And I got to tell you, Christmas starts early for the Portland Singing Christmas Tree, right? We start our rehearsals back in August. We've been preparing. We've been excited about this. And to be opening on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, we couldn't be more thrilled. Yeah, it is absolutely thrilling. And it has become a tradition for generations of families in our community. It has been. You know, 61 years that the Portland Singing Christmas Tree has been around We've endured a pandemic. We've endured all kinds of different changes in and around our community. But what I love more than anything is two two parts. First, the choir is made up of our community, which means it's a representation of our neighbors, mm-hmm. our friends, our family. And then the second is, here's 61 years. We've been bringing the story of Christmas, the true origin of Christmas to our community like uh, like n- like never before. Songs and music and acting and story that all comes together in 90 wonderful minutes for ages young and old 
it's really a remarkable experience. You know, there are a few things these days that bring people together, like the singing Christmas tree. Traditional music, you have some new and contemporary music. You have a good mix of all kinds of things that appeal to the hearts of people who are desperately looking for something to bring joy to them during this season and beyond. Absolutely right. You know, when we put together the show every single year, we try to think about how can we come up with the right mix of music, the right show, and the right experience that really will appeal to truly anyone and everyone. Um, This year, I'm particularly excited because I have not one, but two of my daughters in the show and my wife now, which is really fun. But we all came to the show since my kids were babies, and it's been an experience for us to see them come and see and experience it. For them to now be in it is even more remarkable. One thing when I think about the music is Christmas means a lot of different things to, uh, to each and every one of us. But to open the show with a message of joy, mm-hmm. that the Christmas season can and should be about joy for all of us, regardless of our walk in life, regardless of where we've come from, and even what we're experiencing uh, through hardships and otherwise— Christmas time is a time of joy, a time to celebrate, and we really want our show to be about bringing that feeling of joy into the Christmas season. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the Singing Christmas Tree had been at the Keller Auditorium for many, many years. We're now at Sunset Church off of Cornell Road, right off of the uh, of Sunset Highway. Uh, the change was really um, something that uh, people who've come to the Singing Christmas Tree were really grateful for. They really were. You know, um, coming out of the pandemic, when uh, we looked to uh, start our show again, we took one year off. um, And as we looked to reemerge, we talked to our patrons and said, look, we're looking at coming back to the Keller Auditorium. How do you feel about that? There is some unrest down there anyway. And our our patrons said, gosh, you know, we we really aren't feeling that, that safe being down there, which told us exactly what we needed to do. We prayed about it. We thought about where can we go and sunset open their doors to us. It is so easy to get there, straight out Highway 26. There's free parking, um, plenty of room for all. It's really a wonderful place, and we couldn't be more thankful for Sunset Church. Oh, it's a beautiful auditorium, and they have been so gracious, not only to welcome the choir, but to welcome all of our guests during this Christmas season. You will feel at home when you walk through the doors and are greeted by smiling faces who have been preparing for you for many, many, many weeks. While most of us were enjoying the summer, the Singing Christmas Tree Choir was preparing the welcome that you were going to experience when you walk through those doors. We're talking about a 90-minute show, as we mentioned, all kinds of music, an immersive nativity, which for me is just the the icing on the cake, Um, a special visit from Santa, his dancing elves, you've got the Jefferson dancers, we've got the beautiful adult choir, you've got the children's choir, and these kids, I'm telling you, they're talented, they're great performers, they add so much uh, to the show. Uh, a whole list of, of soloists, Timothy Greenidge, Aaron Tamlin, Jennifer Davies, Courtney Temple. I might sing a song or two. <laughs> it's just going to be a wonderful tradition that continues. And I think we'll surprise people a little bit this year around with a maybe a special guest they don't expect. That is true. And, you know, I hate to give away the story too much, but we might get a visit from the Grinch. Um, every year our story comes together in such a, a special and fun, exciting way. Um, I guarantee you, even though this may be a community choir that comes together, this is a professional show and yes. it is one that is, uh, is one not to miss this year. You know, when I first um, was invited to come to the singing Christmas tree, I expected I was going to see a choir standing in the shape of a Christmas tree and they would do a number of selections and that would be it. 
This is a presentation that I think surprises anyone who is coming for the very first time. It is a pageant. It is spectacular. They're singing and dancing and choreography and dialogue all throughout. And as you pointed out, this is a professional presentation. I I, I hadn't mentioned, but uh, Greg Tamlin, who is a Pacific Northwest treasure, has been part of putting the storyline together and making this a presentation that you could take to Broadway or any other big house in the across the country. Uh, and really enjoy at Christmas time. Absolutely right. Uh, Greg is one of the best people in the business to partner with. Oh my um, goodness! And he's been he's done remarkable things with the tree, uh, shaping it and growing it, and evolving the organization and the storyline and everything that we get a chance to bring to our community. We're talking about the Pacific Northwest Premier Christmas event. Um, we're not just a show. We're a, a cherished tradition here in the Portland metro. Area, and you have uh, nine opportunities to be a part of this year's Singing Christmas Tree. I cannot tell you how often I hear from people, oh, I've never been. I've always wanted to go. Okay, here's your heads up. It's coming up the Saturday after Christmas. You have four opportunities that weekend, two performances on Saturday, November 25th, two performances on Sunday, November 26th. But wait, there's more. On Friday, December 1st, you have an opportunity for an evening performance. There's a matinee on Saturday and Sunday, December 2nd and 3rd, and evening performances on Saturday, December the 2nd, 3rd as well. And then the singing Christmas tree will be a memory, one that uh, we hope you don't regret having missed. So let me encourage you. There are a couple of ways that you can uh, join us for this year's singing Christmas tree, and I promise you, you will walk away with a song in your heart and joy as well. You can call the box office to purchase your tickets at 503-557-8733. That's 503-557-8733. You can also go to singingchristmastree.org online and you can purchase your tickets there as well. This has been a pretty big weekend and week as we're preparing for the audience to join us later um, this week. Tell us a little bit about how we prepare in these final days before we open the uh, the doors to our audience. Absolutely. You know, what's great about the show when it comes together is we spend time rehearsing as small groups, as choirs, as youth, as instrumentalists. But this past weekend, Saturday, uh, Sunday, and then every night this week leading up to Thanksgiving, we're now taking all those different puzzle pieces and we're putting them together into this most incredible tapestry up on stage. So we have lights, uh, light, sound, uh, actors, every soloist, choir members, youth, dancers, all coming together here actually tonight for the very first time, which I could not be more thrilled about. Um, I love Christmas, and this is one that um, that I'm particularly excited about this year for year 61. Mm. Now, I, we mentioned just briefly that the Jefferson Dancers are going to be back this year. They've been a part of the tree uh, off and on for a number of years, and we're thrilled to have them back. You know, they bring such incredible life to the stage. And what I love more than anything is here is this incredible talent in our city, and we get to share the stage with them and get uh, get a chance to have them share their gifts with us. Um, they're, uh, they are absolute phenomenal dancers. They bring every part of our story and song to life. Um, one particular piece that I love that we do is uh, The Drummer Boy with Timothy Greenidge. But the Jefferson dancers really take that song to the next level. Yeah. Now, you can hear about it or you can come and hear and see it for yourselves. And we would like to extend a personal invitation. Come, bring family members, bring your neighbors, bring your friends. You can purchase your tickets at singingchristmastree.org online, or you can call 503-557-8733. That's 503-557-8733. And let me tell you, I do not want to hear you tell me at Fred Meyer 
on, let's see, Monday, December the 4th. Oh, I was planning to come to the singing Christmas tree. Is it over? Now you know. We're going <laughs> to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation in just a moment. Again, with me in studio is Paul Willie. He is the director of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree in its 61st year of bringing joy, peace, hope, and love to the Portland metro area at Christmas. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Paul Willie. He is the director of the Singing Christmas Tree Choir, the Pacific Northwest Treasure. Uh, Greg Tamblin is also part of this uh, wonderful performance. We've got uh, nine performances available, a 125-voice choir, a children's cast, soloists that include Timothy Greenidge, Aaron Tamblin, Jennifer Davies, Courtney Temple, um, it's just going to be a spectacular presentation, and every year it just seems to get better and better and better, and this year will be no exception. As I mentioned, there are nine opportunities for you to uh, to join us, beginning with Saturday, November 25th, with a matinee performance at 2, and an evening performance that same evening at 6 o'clock p.m. Then again on Sunday, you have a 2 and 6 o'clock performance, a matinee and evening performance, Wait till next Friday, and there's an evening at 7 o'clock p.m. on Friday, December 1st. And again, on uh, Saturday and Sunday, December 2nd and 3rd, there are matinee performances at 2 o'clock, and then in the evening at 6 o'clock p.m. on both Saturday and Sunday. You are cordially invited to attend, but let me encourage you not to come alone. You're going to need to have somebody to elbow, to laugh with, to sing along with. So call our box office at 503 503- Five five seven eighty seven thirty three. That's five zero three five five seven eighty seven thirty three. Or you can go to singingchristmastree dot org to uh, to purchase your tickets. Well, I tell you, I'm excited for tonight's rehearsal because I know it's just days away from uh, when the uh, the downbeat strikes and the the singing Christmas tree of twenty twenty three is about to begin. What motivates you to keep coming back to serve as the director? It's a lot more work than I think most of us ever really um, understand, but it's something that you seem to have in your heart. Uh, you know, I really do. I think um, <laughs> first of all, when I first joined, I thought, "Oh, this will be easy. We'll start around October, November. We'll put on a couple shows and we'll be out." I did not realize <laughs> you start in the early January around show planning, etc. But Listen, the story of Christmas could not be more important to me personally. Um, That is the story of Jesus coming to this earth. Mm -hmm. It's the very story of salvation. And for us to be able to be a part of telling that story to our community, a community that needs to hear that more than ever before, that to me is what really motivates me more than ever. Uh, Music has been so important to me in my life. In uh, growing up, I've been in uh, worship teams and churches, in high school choirs and college choirs, etc., But I really believe something that's special about a choir is that the sum is greater than the individual parts themselves. And when you get a chance to see and feel this choir come alive, it is truly a remarkable experience. You know, it really is. The Singing Christmas Tree is steeped in tradition, but also offers fresh elements and new songs. And one of the things that I uh, appreciate so much is the immersive nativity Uh, which is a part of the program. It really culminates in the presentation of the origin, the true meaning of Christmas, and invites us to take a glimpse into the scene in Bethlehem on that that lonely night 
Um, it, it's so beautifully done and graphic in ways that I think people who are coming for the first time might be quite surprised. Absolutely. You know, a, a lot of times we think of the Christmas story as something simply printed on a page, and we like to take that and really bring it to life in a special way right in front of your faces with Mary and Joseph and the baby being born and then the shepherds and the wise men. But it, it all comes together. That is the whole purpose of why we are yeah. there. And for that to be the, the true pinnacle of our show at the, toward the very end, it's really quite remarkable. Um, the last thing I will mention, too, is um, I really do believe that there is something so special about this show because it does truly have something for everyone, regardless of where you're at in your day, in mm-hmm. your walk, in your life. Um, I, I think I think Christmas is one of those seasons that we all need a little more joy. Yeah. Um, and so the, our show is really all about how can we kick off this season for everyone with that message. Well, you know, I think that's a thread that all of us are, are looking for. Uh, to carry us through this season, but beyond as well. We're living in very challenging times, and people have a heavy heart. Um, And to have a presentation that reminds us of the source of joy and to bring uh, laughter and a smile on our face and to see and hear music that is inspiring and uplifting, I think you're absolutely right. It appeals to everyone. And I think you walk away just a little bit different um, because you have been in your own community, surrounded by people who are having the same experience, being serenaded by your neighbors and family members and co-workers who have dedicated themselves to bringing that joy to you. It's just a, a wonderful experience that we want to invite every listener here today and beyond to join us for. Indeed. You know, and um, as I was looking at our ticket sales numbers uh, right before I came in, our matinees are filling up really fast. We still have some room in our evening shows but boy, I really want to have that house packed. I want anyone and everyone that can come and experience the show to really get a chance to be a part. You know, it's a great opportunity for families to come together. But I would also encourage you, if you have a lonely neighbor, maybe someone who's experienced a loss or is really struggling during this season, not everybody finds this season naturally uh, producing joy. This is an opportunity to introduce uh, joy into the lives and hearts of those you care about uh, and to invite them to join you for this presentation. Have a meal before, have a meal after and just walk away with, uh, you know, with a bit of joy in your heart that you maybe didn't come in with. Again, we just want to encourage you to take advantage of the nine opportunities to be a part of this year's Singing Christmas Tree and not to be among those who say, oh, I missed it. <laughs> Again, we start on Saturday, December, or rather November 25th. Let me clarify that. Saturday, November 25th with a matinee performance at 2 and again at 6 o'clock p.m. Saturday, November the 25th. Keep in mind, those matinee performances, they're filling up very quickly. And then on Sunday, the 26th, uh, you have a matinee at 2 and an evening performance at 6. Then the following weekend, beginning on Friday, December 1st at 7 o'clock p.m. And again on the weekend, Saturday. Saturday and Sunday, December 2nd and 3rd, matinee performances at 2. And then on Saturday, December, uh, I mean, sorry, Sunday, December 3rd uh, and Saturday, December 2nd, you have uh, evening performances at 6 o'clock as well. To sort all of that out, you can go to the website singingchristmastree.org or you can call Patty in the uh, box office at 503-557-8733. 503-887, or excuse me, 557-8733. If you can sort through that, you're doing, you're doing pretty well. Well, we're looking forward to coming together tonight and um, looking forward the most to welcoming uh, listeners from all over our community into this extravaganza where we, we invite people to celebrate Christmas uh, with joy in our 61st year. Any final words? 
You know, it really is an extravaganza, so I, I couldn't be more excited about it. Georgine, thank you for being a part of the show as our host, as a featured soloist. Um, can't wait to see you there tonight. Well, I tell you what, it's just fascinating to be a part of that wonderful choir. You know, you're just kind of like the the um, condiment. The choir is the, is the thing. Yes. <laughs> I tell you, they just, they're amazing. And then to have an opportunity to sing a little something with them is just a, a blessing that I think all of our listeners will enjoy. Well, Paul, thank you for your, your dedication to the choir, to our community. And we're looking forward to sharing all that we have in store for this year's 61st Portland Singing Christmas Tree. Thank you. Thank you. Again, call the box office at 503-557-8733. Get your tickets today. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you'll join us here again tomorrow, and I hope to see you at this year's Portland Singing Christmas Tree. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.